Hey, what's up, guys? It's Will Bowman, your host for The Art of the Interview. And today, on this episode, I am going to talk about something which um, is very personal to me um, as a highly emotive and emotional person, as my wife will tell you, but also um, I think is really valuable for other people, both um, just as interviewers, but also just as human beings. And that is the subject of what to do with difficult emotions. And the first thing I'm going to say is notice how I don't call them negative emotions. Um, I call them difficult emotions. And I call them that for a very specific purpose. And the reason for that is a lot of times we tend to see both in ourselves and in other people emotions like anger, Sadness, hopelessness, loneliness, um, maybe even something like lust or um, envy. We tend to see these emotions and we tend to label them as quote-unquote negative. But I am a very passionate believer that none of these emotions are negative. They are simply difficult, and here is the philosophical reason for that. I know this is getting kind of deep, but um, we do what we do on this podcast, and if you don't like it, you can go somewhere else. (laughs) So here's my theory about emotions. So I fundamentally believe that human beings are driven by one single impulse that is baked into every single one of our genes, um, and that is the impulse to self-propagate. Um, our genes are hardwired to replicate themselves, and everything that we experience in life, I think, is can be summed up to this one particular impulse that we have to replicate our genes. Now, that can manifest in a bunch of different ways, and we don't need to go into all that, but for this episode, we're going to talk about um, how that leads to emotions. So we have this impulse, which is to self-replicate, and what that leads to is impulses that we feel towards things like community, acceptance, power and control, security, um, safety, um, and life, and then eventually death. I think that our the in, the impulse to death can also be traced to this impulse to self-replicate, but we don't need to go into too much detail on that. Suffice to say that these impulses then lead to desires. We um, all experience certain fundamental desires um, that drive us to do certain acts, like recording podcasts, like reading books, like turning on the light bulb, like cooking meals, like um, getting married and making love, and all these sorts of things can all be traced back to particular desires, which ultimately, I think, can all lead back to these sort of fundamental impulses that we have, which ultimately lead back to our deepest inclination and impulse, which is to self-replicate. So how do emotions fit into this? So our emotions are are parallel to our thoughts. And our thoughts, our mind, is singularly purposed to fulfill our desires. Every thought that you have can be traced back in some way to a desire that you have. 
Our emotions, on the other hand, are ways of dealing with the circumstances in life that are related to our desires. So, for example, um, earlier today I was dealing with a <laughs> dealing with a stupid computer issue that was causing me to have to redo a bunch of work, which I really didn't want to be doing because it was very late. Um, is very late. I'm recording this after I'm done, and it's still very late. Um, and I really did not want to be working on this. And so I was experiencing anger. And anger is a result of your desire being frustrated or being hindered or being blocked or being taken away. You're angry and it pushes you to action, movement, fight, you know, like whatever that thing is, it pushes you to that, that emotion, but it's related to a desire being blocked. Sadness. Sadness is a way of dealing with loss of desire. Um, when we lose someone we love, when we um, experience bad news, we feel sad because we're trying to deal with how the circumstances in life are related to the desires that we have. Envy um, or jealousy. Um, it's an experience when others have a desire that or have the object of our desire the fulfillment of our desire that we think that we want so all of these emotions that we experience and i'll put it for you every single emotion you'll ever experience can be traced back to some fundamental desire which can be traced back to your deepest biological and spiritual need to survive so what that means is that our emotions are telling us things. And they're sort of like pressure valves for living in an experience and in a world that is not always conducive to every one of our desires exactly how we imagine them. So instead of like when we don't get what we want, going out and killing someone, getting angry is actually kind of a way of letting some of that pressure off, right? We experience anger and some of that energy, one, it drives us to maybe do something to where that desire isn't frustrated, but two, it also lets off some of that energy and allows us to kind of process the experience that we're having of not having that desire, of having that desire blocked or frustrated. And if you'll notice, things like with emotions, they tend to have a half-life, right? If they're treated in a healthy way. You'll be angry for a while. And if you're just angry for a while, if you just let yourself be angry, eventually you'll kind of stop being angry. <laughs> um, on the other hand, if you repress that anger, generally that anger doesn't go away. It just kind of festers and it actually grows. Um, one of my pastor, he always says that... Um, emotions when unacknowledged or oppressed they go deep into the dungeons of your heart and they lift weights <laughs> which i think is a really great way of putting it and so all these desires have two um 
they have two functions. One, they push us towards particular actions, which are helpful for healing or dealing with the emotions that are dealing with the circumstances that we're having. But they also serve as a pressure release for the circumstances where our desires um, are related, how, how the desires relate to the circumstances. So what does that mean? Well, then that means that all the emotions have a purpose. Even emotions that are difficult to handle, like anger, sadness, hopelessness, whatever, they're all in some way good and purposed towards your well-being and towards the fulfillment of your deepest, most fundamental need. This is difficult, though sometimes because obviously any grown human being has learned that doing what every one of your emotions says all the time is the worst possible way to live your life <laughs> and that's true we don't just one of the biggest differences between a child and a fully functioning adult is if you watch a child every time their emotions shift their physical way of being shifts. When they're sad, they cry. When they're angry, they scream. When they um, are s hopeless, they lie down and they don't do anything, right? But we as adults realize we can't always do what our emotions tell us to because sometimes, one, they're, it's a really bad idea. And two, there are people that are counting on us, right? Like if I'm in the middle of... Um, if I'm in the middle of directing a video... And all of a sudden I get a call that, um, you know, well, I was going to say my mother died, but that's actually a bad example because in that situation I probably would leave. But, you know, if, I, if I'm in the middle of directing a live film or a live, live broadcast and I get that, that phone call, I got to keep it together until that broadcast is done so that the whole television, I can't just be like, sorry guys, I got to go, you know have fun winging it <laughs> you know like we have situations where our and other people's survival is contingent on us being able to put those emotions on hold or not necessarily react in the moment exactly way the way um that they tell us to but on the other hand on the flip side more and more modern science is telling us that repression is equally as harmful to emotions and to our well-being, our physical, spiritual, emotional well-being, as anything else. If we just take those emotions and we shove them down and we push them down into the deepest parts of our subconscious and say, I can't handle you, hide down there, stay in the basement, I have to function as a, a fully functional human being, it actually ends up hurting us quite a bit. So how do we deal with difficult emotions, and I promise you this is all going to come back to interviewing somehow. So how do we deal with difficult emotions? So personally, I have found that the healthiest, one of the most healthy ways of dealing with emotions is, I'm not even going to say a middle ground because I don't really see it as a middle ground, I see it as sort of a best of both worlds, between reacting consistently and exactly in the way that our emotions tell us to all the time 
and repressing the emotion, sending it down someplace that we don't have to deal with it, at least in the present moment, consistently until it all just blows up in our face in a glorious wonder of health problems and broken relationships. Because neither of these options are really a great way. And the way that I have experienced dealing with them. And let me be clear before I go into it. Sometimes you really do need to react the way that your emotions tell you. There are times when I let my emotions guide what I do, and it actually sometimes turns out really well, right? And my emo- I do enough work with my own emotions where, you know, sometimes when I'm angry, I let myself be angry. I'm not cruel, but, like, I will show people that I am angry. And sometimes that's what they need to be like, okay, hey, this person's angry. I need to, you know, do, you know, whatever. I need to do things in the way that they want me to or, you know, like, or, you know, whatever. And sometimes I legitimately, I don't know if I'd call it repressed, but sometimes I need to just take that emotion, put it up on the wall there and say, I can't deal with you right now. I'm going to have to deal with you later because in this moment, if I'm just break down then I'm going to be doing more harm to myself and other people than if I just put you up on the shelf here and um, I'll deal with you later. You know, there are places for both of those places, but generally speaking, I prefer a third way of handling my emotions, and I, I tend to go to this, and this is a lot of times what I do with interviews when other people are experiencing powerful emotions across the interview set for me. And what I like to call that is I like to call holding them. Holding emotions is, like I said, kind of like a best of both worlds. It's not reactive in the way that just reacting to your emotions is, doing what they tell you. Um, If you're angry, punch the guy. If you're sad, fall down on the ground and don't move. If you're hopeless, go into bed or don't get out of bed. But it's also not repressive in that it takes the emotions and puts it someplace else other than in the forefront of your mind. What holding an emotion is, is it's allowing the emotion to be and do and exist in the exactly the way that it is without necessarily allowing it to tell you what to do or to force your hand or to... Um, react in a certain way because here's the thing emotions sometimes do have that first purpose which is to push you into certain actions and acts which are related to achieving that those desires but sometimes like i said they're simply ways of coping with the circumstances around that desire that you have And a lot of times that's really what we as human beings and others need. A lot of times people are, people, people tend to find people who can just sit with them and let them express emotions. They they tend to find those relationships really valuable. And the reason for that is because sometimes emotions just need to process, you know, The human psyche is like a stream. When there's a flow, there's life and movement and uh, clarity in the water. 
when it gets blocked up, there's death, tepidness. Um, the water gets murky. And one of the keys to emotional well-being is keeping the emotions flowing healthily through your psyche, through your brain. And a big part of that is expressing emotions in healthy, productive ways. And we don't do that individually as human beings. Generally, we do that in relationships. And so holding an emotion is your ability to, and this is how I do it with myself, when something happens that makes me angry, and maybe I decide rationally that this isn't the moment to do something that that anger, so maybe I'm working on my computer and it's not working, and my anger in that moment is telling me to take my mouse and throw it against the wall, right? Probably not the best way of handling it, (laughs) though I cannot say I have never done that before. I choose consciously that's not the best way to handle it, but I also don't want to just take that emotion and shove it into my subconscious. So instead, I stop. I say to myself, I am experiencing powerful anger. I feel the emotion. I allow it to kind of course through me. I feel the power that it gives me. Maybe a growl or something like that, you know. But mostly, I simply allow the emotion to be there and to do its thing and for me to be angry and to be pissed off, right? And I don't try to fix it. I don't try to manipulate it. I don't try to fix the solution or fix the, the cause of it. I simply hold the space for myself to be angry. And what I find a lot of time, whether it's anger or sadness or anxiety, is if I simply hold that space for that emotion for long enough, sometimes it's hours, you know, sometimes it's days, sometimes it's periods of my life, you know, I'm experiencing a particular emotion. Generally speaking, that emotion tends to sort of start to work itself out. And Different circumstances require different lengths of working themselves out. So, you know, someone says something mean to me at the grocery store checkout line, that's going to be a pretty quick turnover, right, for my anger. And I'm going to get angry, and then in 20 minutes I'm done being angry and never think about it again. However, if my father dies, holding the space for that sadness might take months maybe years, and it'll go away and it'll come back. But the ability to hold emotion, not to react, but also not to repress, is a very powerful skill to have, and I think a very healthy one, especially in our modern era and age, where our emotions are constantly pulled this way, that way, up down, left, right, by the constant flow of information through media that we're barraged with. Okay, so I told you this was all going to come back to interviewing somehow. I promise, and I'm now going to deliver it. I don't just do this with myself. 
this is a technique I practice with others as well. And that includes during interviews and conversations. If I'm in an interview, someone across from me starts to cry. There are very conflicting impulses in me because that's a hard emotion. It's a difficult emotion because someone is being vulnerable with you. And that's a scary moment. Part of me wants to make them feel better, (laughs) to reassure them, tell them something that makes them feel better. That's the reactive way of dealing with it. Part of me also wants to move away from the subject as quickly as possible. Because, holy crap, this is a scary thing. There's some actual intimacy going on here. What do I do? But a lot of times, instead of doing one of those two things, I simply focus in, take a deep breath, and expand my ability to hold this person and this emotion in exactly this moment. I don't have to fix it. I don't have to do anything. I simply hold the space inside myself and inside the interview for them to experience that emotion and for them to say whatever they need to say for that emotion to work itself out. And generally speaking, I find that approach tends to result in the best interview, the most intimacy with the person moving forward. Because here's the thing. People don't always want us to fix their emotions, and they definitely probably don't want us to run away from their emotions. I know I don't. I don't like it when people run away from me when I'm experiencing difficult emotions. People want us to be able to hold the space for them to be, to have those emotions. Because generally speaking, they're so subconscious that they don't really have a choice whether to have those emotions. And if we can hold that space for them without agreeing or disagreeing, or maybe we do agree or disagree, maybe we don't think that they're legitimately angry about something, but that emotion, that doesn't stop us from being able to hold the space for them to be able to be angry. Because us holding the space is not contingent on us agreeing with the emotion. We can hold the space for something even if we don't agree with the object. And that's really important for an interviewer. Because we're humans too. We have opinions, we have thoughts, we have feelings about things, and those are good things. But when we step into an interview... We have to, if we want to be able to access this person in a genuine way, we have to be able to hold the space for whatever comes, whether we agree with it or not. And that also goes to how to deal with an interview with someone with whom you fundamentally disagree with in some particular way, shape, or form, which happens. And a good interviewer doesn't need to agree with the person or even find super deep commonality with them to be able 
to hold that space and to open up the space for them to be intimate and for them to be open. So, in conclusion, when you're in an interview and the person across from you starts to express some difficult emotions, whatever that might look like to you, whether that's sadness or the absolute happiness or exuberant joy or profound hopelessness, instead of trying to fix it, or reassure them, or just moving on to the next part of the interview, try instead just to hold that emotion, and hold the space for that emotion. And in the holding of that emotion, that person will feel the space to feel the way they feel, express what they want to express. And you can just go along for the ride, and see where it takes you. All right, guys, that's today's episode. If you're still around, I applaud you for sticking with me through my theoretical ramblings. (laughs) I hope that we finally got to a place that was tangible and of value to you in your journey to becoming a better interviewer. I'm Will Bowman, and I'm not sure what the next interview is going to be, or the next episode, but whatever it is, we'll see you on the flip side.